Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Coming up on the Hockey News pregame show, Connor Bedard is out with a fractured jaw. Is the Calder race wide open? Quinn Hughes at center, the latest wildness from Vancouver. And we're joined by Boston Bruins site editor Joe Pohorelis to talk about the Bruins. I'm Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trikos, and this is the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. Hey, hockey fans, welcome to the Hockey News pregame show with Ryan Kennedy. And Ryan, let's get started right away. Connor Bedard, been a kind of an odd season in Chicago with some players going down. Now, mm-hmm. Connor Bedard is down six to eight weeks with a fractured jaw. Ultimately, this doesn't change anything with the Chicago Blackhawks. What no. it does change, though, is the Calder Trophy race. And um, is Bedard no longer the number one? You know, contender for Rookie of the Year. I would say he's still number one for now, but at least the door is open. Mm. You know, before he broke his jaw, I think it was kind of a, you know, fait accompli that he was going to win the Calder based on the numbers he had, the impact he had on that Hawks team. But now you have to consider other players because, you know, who knows? I mean, once he returns... Maybe everything's fine. He goes on a crazy points pace once again, and he locks it up. But in the meantime, you know, you have to look at a guy like defenseman Brock Faber in Minnesota, who has already played 30 minutes or more in a game five times this season. He is currently 11th overall in time on ice, like average time on ice in the NHL, between Chris Letang and Victor Hedman. Mm. And this is a rookie defenseman on a team that has really needed him. So, you know, you look at Faber, he's getting some offense. He's obviously doing great on defense. So there's a guy that I would consider at least someone who, if he keeps putting up points, if he keeps playing wild minutes for Minnesota, no pun intended, then you at least have to consider that. And then, of course, you have to look at guys with just the raw numbers. And it's not going to be the same for points per game because Connor Bedard will still be in the lead there, but Marco Rossi, who also plays for Minnesota, he's currently second, tied with Adam Fantilli in Columbus. So those are two kids where they've got some time to make up ground. Right now, they're about nine points behind Bedard. They're obviously going to have plenty of games to catch up and surpass him. And then at least for the voters, they have to say, okay, well, do we give it to a guy that did this all season long, or do we give it to a guy who was incredible in the amount of games he played? There's no wrong answer. But that's what I'm saying. At least there is a debate right now to be had. Yeah, and, and you know, if Connor Bedard doesn't get hurt, like you mentioned, fate complete, it, it was locked up that he was going to win the Calder because yeah. let's just throw the numbers out here. Uh, in 39 games, Bedard had 15 goals and 33 points. So on pace for 30-plus goals, on pace for 
probably 70 points. Yeah. That's a really good rookie season. I think yeah. that's probably one of the better seasons. Maybe you have to go back to Austin Matthews as a rookie in terms of number one picks, stepping into the NHL and making that sort of impact. You take him out now, he's still probably, in my mind, the favorite. Am I wrong in that? You're not wrong. Yeah, I mean, if you were going to vote today, I think everybody would pretty much say Connor Bedard, right? And what I'm thinking is... Because he still has a three-goal lead on Marco Rossi, and he's got almost a 10-point lead on Rossi as well. So, Mm. you know, he could miss these next... You know, a month and a half or so. Yeah. Come back and, what, be a few points out, a few goals out. Yeah, and points per game, he'll still be the leader by quite a a wide margin. So in in that scenario, you say, yeah, it's still Bedard's to have. What I'm saying is, you know, what if he comes back and, I mean, you look at Chicago and the other injuries they've had, you know, what's that team going to be like? What condition is he going to be in? You know, because, you know, if you break your jaw... You know, it's hard to get the nutrition you need to get back up to speed right away. I don't know if it's wired or, or what the situation is. A lot is. of smoothies. He's going to be drinking a lot of smoothies between the now and then. Exactly, yeah. Um, so who knows how long it'll take him to get back up to speed even when he's in the lineup. These are just X factors that I'm pointing out. Yeah. Well, I go back to the Connor um, McDavid rookie year where yeah. he lost it to Artemi Panarin. And uh, there was that debate because Panarin was so much older than McDavid. And yep. it was a huge kind of like, well, is this guy even a rookie? Mm. Come on, Bedard, or McDavid is the young guy. And McDavid goes down with a collarbone injury, comes back, and ultimately loses it to Panarin. And um, I've got to go back to this, see how many games McDavid did play. But is there a kind of a minimum games where you're looking at Bedard saying, okay, if he only gets in the lineup for... 60, is that mm. enough? Or uh, does he have to play in 60 games to kind of be considered? Because right now at 39, I would argue if he doesn't play again this year, he can't be a rookie. Right. And obviously we do expect him back to play some games. But I, I do feel like 60 is a pretty good meeting point there. Like if he right. played 60 games and had the best points per game amongst rookies, assuming that Brock Faber doesn't continue to play, you know, like almost 25 minutes a night and put up offense for the Wild. I think you still give it to Bedard if, if his points per game are, are that much greater than Rossi, Fantilli, you know, even Connor Zary and Calgary's having a great rookie season. You know, there's, there are some candidates, but if you play 60 games, I think that's enough to say, okay, well, that's a, that's a big enough sample size that you had a big impact. And we also have to consider, too, where does he finish in Chicago Blackhawks scoring, mm. right? Because it's not, it's not going to be a lot of offense going on necessarily with him out of the lineup. Connor McDavid, just uh, to get this out there, 45 games as a rookie. Yeah. 48 points, though. Very impressive. But wow. 45 games, it's like that's basically half a season. Uh, another guy who is out right now is Trevor Zegras. Mm-hmm. Um, there was word when the Ducks traded for Cutter Goche that – and I think we talked about this, uh, that a guy like Zegras might be on his way out, that you can't have all these forwards that eventually you're going to have to trade some guys. Um, obviously, you're not trading a guy who's injured right now, mm. but you know, what do you think happens with Zegras as we kind of inch forward to you know, that trade deadline that's coming up? Yeah, this is a tough one because he's out about six to eight weeks as well, the broken ankle. And it's been a really tough season for him. It was funny, when I was looking at the, the all-star ballots uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on NHL.com, 
they were listing the candidates that fans could vote on by points, and I was like, where's Trevor Zegras? And then I realized, like, he doesn't even have 10 points this year. No, it's been awful for him. It's been a really rough go. So, I mean, one consideration is if you're Anaheim GM Pat Verbeek, you're certainly not trading from a position of weakness. Like, if other teams are like, well, maybe Trevor Zegras isn't, you know, the, the top-line guy we thought he was, we'll give you, you know, a second and a third for him. Obviously, you're not making that deal. Trevor Zegras is one of the most creative, dynamic players in the league, and we've seen his upside. So He's only 22. And he's only 22. So I mean, It feels like he should be older. Yeah, it, he's been around for a while, and he's had such an impact this on the game already. his fourth season in the NHL. Yeah. Now, it does feel like there's a bit of a logjam in Anaheim right now, as you mentioned, because they do have Mason McTavish, they do have Leo Carlson, and now mm. they have Cutter Gauthier, uh, who is a center but can play wing as well. But, you know, there's four guys there that all need to be top six, and all of them play center. So what do you do? Do you just put some guys on the wing and say, hey, we're very happy you know, with that? Is, is somebody a third-line center but a very talented one at that? It'll be very interesting to see what happens there. But if you're going to make a deal, you know, Zegers, his contract's not bad, right? I mean, it's, I think there's like two and a half, three years left. I think he's at like 5.7. There's not a lot of teams with cap space. You know, if I was going to throw out just kind of a random thought, would Nashville be interested? You know, there's a team that doesn't have a lot of high-end weapons up front, mm-hmm. and they do have cap space where they could make, you know, like a, a hockey trade, but they could probably take on some salary. Would they do, you know, Zegers for like Luke Shen and some other stuff, some picks or a prospect? This is me pulling this out of thin air, by the way. But it, just thinking of a hypothetical trade that could be done without, you know, like a third-party laundering cap space, that sort of thing. Because if you're a contending team, you probably don't have a lot of cap space right now to bring in a Trevor Zegers straight up. No, and he's making 5.75 for the next three years, mm-hmm. like this year included. Um, so it's not cheap. Um, I keep going back to his age because I think we haven't even seen the best of Trevor Zegers. Right. We have seen the best. <laughs> and the best is usually at the All-Star game right. or when he's pulling off a of Michigan or some fancy move. And I think that's what really stands out is this guy can be electrifying, but I, don't, I still don't know what kind of player he's going to be. Yeah. Um, I'm with you, though. Um, I think a change of scenery might be the best thing. You threw it at Nashville. I'll throw it even like a Washington Capitals. Interesting. There's a team that is still trying to make that transition from the OV era to whatever the next era is going to be with their young players. I could see Trevor Zegers fitting in perfectly in that sort of new regime. But again, um, how do you trade a guy who's injured and who hasn't put up stats this year? Yeah, exactly. Like I say, it's a position of weakness. So you'd want Zegers to come back and find his form before you even consider that. And again, we don't know if Anaheim even wants to consider this. Maybe they're very happy mm-hmm. with what they're putting together there because we know they have, even with trading Jamie Drysdale, they have a ton of great young defensemen. Yep. They've got goaltending, and they've got some great young top six forwards. So maybe they're just happy to keep on keeping on. Back to Philly once again. They're playing the Jets tonight, but Coach John Tortorella has been all over the news, uh, mostly for very intriguing versions of uh, what he does behind the bench. The first is his excitement about new acquisition, Jamie Drysdale. You know, Tortorella saying he wants Drysdale up the ice as much as possible. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want him to be a defenseman. He wants him to be a rover. And Tortorella has a history of finding defensemen he likes 
that can play that role, even going back to Dan Boyle in Tampa Bay. So is this a match made in heaven, Tortorella and Jamie Drysdale? Well, the interesting things, I, I think it is a match made in heaven. I think every team would love to have Jamie Drysdale. 21-year-old um, puck mover, um, obviously fits that prototypical puck-moving defenseman role. Um, but the interesting thing about Tortorella and talking about Drysdale was, like, we don't want him to stop being offensive. The issue is, can he play the defensive game? And he goes, mm -hmm. we can teach that. Right. What you can't teach is a guy telling Drysdale to go up and down the ice. Like, yeah. You can't tell that to your lumbering six foot six defenseman uh, in most cases. So I think Drysdale's, yeah, it's perfect. A perfect scenario. He's a guy who's still developing. Um, he has the skating ability. He's got the puck moving ability. What he probably doesn't have at this stage, and you wouldn't expect him to have it, is that defensive acumen. So mm. that's where a guy like Torts comes in. And I think um, this could be, yeah, like you said, a match made in heaven for both Tortorella and Drysdale where – He's going to get some learning on the job now. Yeah, and it's it's fun, too, because if you look at how the Flyers are constructed, they are still a fairly young team, mm -hmm. and, you know, they can get up and down the ice, and they can really kind of surprise teams. And it, it occurred to me the other night, Owen Tippett on the Flyers registered, I think it was like the fastest shift or the fastest, like, stretch of ice, uh, according to the NHL Edge, the new stats they did. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like the fastest anyone has gone this year was Owen Tippett in overtime against Montreal. So it's like, you got a guy like Owen Tippett with that kind of athleticism, and we know Owen Tippett has a wicked shot as well. And you got Jamie Drysdale, who can get the puck up to him and quick. That, to me, is a recipe for some fun as well. Oh, yeah. And then also, don't forget, like, you got Mark Stahl on the back end there. So, you know, like, Mark Stahl has his limitations, but yeah. at the end of the day, this guy has logged so many games in the NHL. He's known as a steady presence back Stay there. Stay at home guy. So, you know, that, that might be the perfect guy that also Drysdale can kind of learn from. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want him to be the next Mark Stahl, but right. if he can take elements of that game, and, you know, they probably don't have, like, another guy that Victor Mete back there. Um, and some other guys that maybe can move the puck like mm. him, but you know, like Erasmus Ristolainen is not going to do what Drysdale can do. No. Obviously, Stahl can't do it. Yeah. So yeah, they very desperately need a guy like Drysdale. I think they had him to an extent in a Shane Gosses Bear yep. uh, years ago, but you're hoping that Drysdale uh, develops into a better player than Shane did. Yeah, and I think there was probably high expectations for Cam York in that role as well, and it, it hasn't necessarily translated yet. So maybe Drysdale is that kind of elevated. Cam York sticking with Torts. Uh, obviously, the Cutter Gauthier trade was huge news around the league, especially in Philly. And uh, one reporter had a rumor about Kevin Hayes being involved. Uh, Torts went after that reporter in a press conference, was uh, defending <laughs> Kevin Hayes' good name. But it occurred to me, like, when these things happen, obviously it's fun for social media and whatnot, but if you're the Flyers, is this yet not another example of Torts proving that he is that player's coach where he's going to go to the wall for anybody that was ever involved with the Flyers. That, that's got to feel good. Yeah, there's a lot of misconceptions about John Tortorella. I would argue the same kind of misconceptions um, appear whenever people talk about Lou Lamorello. Mm -hmm. People think that he's the second coming of like Tony Soprano, like he's just going right. to cut you at the knees. Right. Um, but Lou is a very loving guy, and mm -hmm. if you're in his organization, he loves you. Same thing with John Tortorella. Um, when that pure Luke Dubois stuff was happening and uh, Dubois wanted out of uh, Winnipeg, uh, or sorry, Columbus, 
Right. Uh, I remember getting on the phone with Mike Johnson of TSN, who had played with John Tortorella, and I was like, okay, let me get some stories about how awful of a coach John Tortorella right. is. And it was the opposite. Yeah. Uh, Mike Johnson was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, every guy loves playing for Torts because he's got your back and because he's brutally honest. And mm. he goes, most players love brutal honesty. If I'm garbage, tell me I'm garbage and that's why I'm not playing and mm. tell me what I can do to get back in the lineup. He goes, too many coaches would just kind of almost like ghost you and right. just be like, you're not playing tonight. What can I do to get in the lineup? I don't know. Just mm. be better. At yeah. least with Torts, he's like, listen, you're not doing A, B, and C right. You got to do this. And if you're not doing it, you're not going to be in the lineup. So I think there is that respect factor. And I think that's why a lot of guys will go through the wall for Tor- John Tortorella. Um, sometimes it doesn't work because, you know, that brutal honesty doesn't work with a guy who's making $10 million a year mm. and has uh, got that superstar ego. But, yeah, I think this is a prime example of why he is the coach that he is because, you know, if you're his player, he does have your back. There you go. And, you know, even more recent, you know, in, in the similar vein, uh, Bobby Brink not playing in Minnesota, his yeah. home state, Tortorella obviously had some, some things to say about that because I think some people are saying, like, oh, you got to play the hometown kid. And Torres was saying, uh, no, I do not. Yeah, we keep talking about this, like Marc-Andre Fleury not getting in the game in Pittsburgh. And people are like, come on, do right by the player. Right. Ultimately, this is the National Hockey League. And that's what John Torts said. His quote was, don't start with all the hugging and all that stuff because I heard it last year. It's the National Hockey League. I don't get the itineraries from players when parents are at the games. And he's completely right. This is not like AAA. This isn't house league. Yeah. This is the NHL. You're there to win every night. And good on the Flyers. No one expected them to be where they are, punching towards a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it is John Tortorella is coaching this team not for a Macklin Celebrini and yeah. trying to get a high draft pick next year. It's to develop these guys and, you know, inch closer to a playoff team. So, you know, I'm sorry, Bobby Brink, you're going in Minnesota. There'll be plenty of times for your parents to come see you live in a game. Yeah. If it didn't work out this way, maybe ask yourself, why am I not in the lineup? Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I interviewed Danny Briere, their GM, uh, just as the season was beginning. And he was saying, like, we don't want a losing culture here. We want to win games. And at the time, it was like... Okay, well, I, I, I wish you like the best. Li- sounds like lip service sometimes, right? So Yeah, exactly. But sure enough, Flyers are winning. Uh, two other teams that are definitely looking at playoff spots, Colorado and Toronto. They play tonight. And something interesting came out the, uh, the other day uh, with the Maple Leafs. They're going to face tougher competition in the second half. If you look at strength of schedule, they were one of the teams that had a little bit easier in the first half, a little bit harder in the second. So you might say... Well, that's, that's going to be rough on the Leafs. But I would also point out that the Leafs tend to play down to their competition and up to their competition, for that matter. So is this a concern? Uh, it might be. Like, they had a back-to-back against San Jose the other day, Ryan. So, like, they have had a real easy schedule. Um, you know, I still don't know what this Toronto Maple Leafs team is. And, you know, this Atlantic division is really becoming a heck of a division because, you know, Boston's still leading things. We'll see if that's true tomorrow. Uh, Florida's one point back. Then you got Toronto. Then you got Tampa and Detroit not that far uh, back of those teams. So the schedule is not going to get easier. The competition amongst the division is not going to get easier. Mm. But, yeah, I want to see what this Toronto team is made of. And do they have the goaltending to kind of hold them through this upper echelon of teams? 
Yeah, it will be interesting to see how they do against Colorado because this is a team that lost both its games against Chicago this year, but have obviously beaten a lot of good teams as well. Took out L.A. Uh, on that uh, California road swing last week as well. And Gabriel Landeskog, do you see that? He's skating. He is skating, uh, which is great news. Who knows what it means long term, but very nice to see that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, if, if Gabriel Landeskog can get back in that lineup down the season, I know, like, we're talking like probably playoff time, Big maybe even second or third round possibly. Yeah, but wow, what a difference that would make! And you know, for Toronto, I think you're still looking at the trade deadline to try to kind of shore up some of the problems that they're having. But mm. you know, their top players are still playing at a ridiculous number or at a level. Um, obviously, we keep talking about William Nylander, what he's been doing, but I still don't know if this team has that playoff mentality so i'm really intrigued to see how they do against like you know stanley cup champions like the abs we're happy to be joined by boston bruins site editor joe poho rillis and joe uh the injury bug has really hit the bruins these days uh if it wasn't bad enough that linus allmark is out uh now matt patra and brandon carlo what does this mean short term for the bruins yeah, it means they're going to have to lean more on maybe the more inexperienced guys uh, in Providence in the AHL than than they were planning to before. They've had to make call-ups. They've had some of the injuries before. Uh, Parker Watherspoon, he was spent eight years in the Islanders organization, not much NHL experience. He's got a lot of run with the defensive core so far, and that's only been exacerbated with Brandon Carlo's injury. He's on IR. Not sure how long that's going to last. And then Mason Lorai, the former second-round pick from 2020, he's been up here a lot more than than they maybe anticipated because of that so they don't as sort of that contending team they kind of like to defer to the veterans the ones with the experience but they've kind of forced their hand to get the younger players and experienced players yeah and joe you look at the standings right now the florida panthers red hot they have basically drawn even with the bruins and it kind of occurred to me Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for the Bruins to have a little something extra to play for because they've been so good all season. And we've seen this in the past, even going back to last year where they ran away with the division. Uh, what do you think of the idea of the, the Cats maybe even overtaking the Bruins for, for first in the Atlantic for, for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I mean they're going to be motivated against – if there's any team they're going to be motivated against after last year, that's going to be the team. So – it certainly doesn't hurt, gives them extra juice. But the thing about that room is you kind of sense the quiet confidence they have. They don't get too high after the big highs. They don't get too low after the big lows. They just kind of stay the course, look ahead. So obviously that's good for motivation. They want to have the higher seed. They want to ensure their playoff spot as soon as possible and find the rhythm going into the postseason, you know, down the line. But as far as, as, far as motivation goes, I think they're as motivated as ever after what happened last season. Well, if the Bruins could finish second and we got Toronto finishing third, I don't think anyone in the GTA is going to... Well, maybe they'll complain, but <laughs> right, right. From, from an entertainment standpoint, no one's yeah. going to complain. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that Bruins uh, room there, Joe. You, obviously, you, know, you lose Patrice Bergeron, and we can talk all day about the impact he made on the ice. We're talking about a, a guy who you know, the Selkie Trophy might end up getting <laughs> named after him one day. But in terms of a, a leadership role... Going from Bergeron to Brad Marchand, I think a lot of us were wondering what that transition was going to look like. What can you kind of tell us about um, how that you know, transition has gone for the Bruins? 
I mean, from what I can glean from it, it seems like it's it's been pretty smooth. I mean, Marchand, he's worn an A for, for a few years now, at least, and, uh, even while Bergeron and, and Chara had held down the captaincy, and definitely not something anybody would have predicted at the beginning of his career, that he would be wearing the C at some point in Boston, but the respect that he has, the amount of time that he's been there, I think uh, he's admitted himself it intimidated him at first, that, you know, taking on that role, and uh, after the two guys that were behind him and taking that on, but from everything that I've seen, from everything that the players have talked about, it's been it's been smooth sailing with that. Excellent. And you know, somebody that's had a, obviously a big impact on this team recently is goaltender Jeremy Swayman. A lot of people have talked about you know will the Bruins deal either Elmark or Swayman, which to me is sort of a weird concept because it's like goaltending is so hard to find these days. You've got two great ones. I don't know why they would move one, but... It's rare that a team wins a Stanley Cup with one guy carrying the, the mail the entire time. These days, you're totally right. So, what do you think Jeremy Swayman's next contract looks like in Boston? Yeah, I mean, he signed the one-year sort of bridge deal to try, kind of go ahead and, uh, you know, maybe raise his stock a little bit, which is exactly what he's done. Uh, I mean, it's tough to say. I think they probably want to lock him down as long-term as possible, so if that's what he wants, if that's what he wants from his camp, I think they're going to make it happen. Cap situation's tough. I mean, a, I mean, Olmark, he, he got four years, 5 million with his contract. I'd imagine Swayman matches that and exceeds it both in length and average annual value. But I mean, I guess we'll have to see when, when that time comes. Yeah. I guess Swayman is a guy that, you know, should be going to Toronto for the all-star game. He's been that important. Yeah. Um, David Pasternak is going to be the lone all-star, it looks like, for the Bruins. But another guy who's had a huge impact is Charlie Coyle. Uh, 14 goals, 30 points this season. You know, I have to go back to when I was covering the Leafs and uh, those playoff uh, runs that the Bruins were on, and he was a Leaf killer. Um, so solid down the middle. How important has he been this year, um, especially when you're talking about a Bruins team that is kind of sort of making that transition from young to old, um, especially with those young guys, like a guy like Matt Patra, what has he learned from a guy like Coyle? I mean, he, he's been huge for them. I mean, the whole conversation entering this season was how are they going to replace Bergeron and Krejci down the middle? And Coyle, as long as he's been in Boston, sort of been that middle six, third line center that you know can do everything and but doesn't necessarily have that you know high offensive upside. But he's completely stepped into that top six role. He's been their best center so far this season. He plays all situations. He gets time on the power play, time on the penalty kill. He's the most trusted in that locker room, according to Jim Montgomery. He plays him in all those situations for a reason. And he's stepped up on the offensive end as well. So he's been just what the Bruins could have asked for and more, for just given the situation entering entering the season. Yeah, and real quick, Joe, uh, with Patra, you know, he's lent out to Canada for the World Juniors. It wasn't a great tournament for either him or the team. Now he's on the shelf. Um, what are you just hearing the, the latest uh, about, you know, like was, was he injured at the World Juniors? Did this happen after? Like what's the situation with Patra right now? Yeah, well, he, he took a hit in this road trip. They've been out west, so unfortunately I haven't been able to see them in the past like week or so just because they've been on this road trip. Uh, he got hit pretty high. Uh, in one of those games and had to exit. So if it was something lingering from World Juniors that hasn't really been disclosed or haven't really been able to ask about that, 
Um, but they they're just trying to ease him into it. They they've even from the start, they've been scratching him from games, sort of like what Anaheim's trying to do with Leo Carlson and not overwhelm, you know, the 19 year old as he's playing in his first season. Also, sort of what I said before about trusting the veterans and leaning on the veterans as they're trying to win games every night. It's not the type of situation where they're going to throw him out there for 18 minutes a night and let him make mistakes. And even if it means losing games, they sort of have to balance his development with uh, with winning games and, and trusting, you know, the guys that have got them there for for years at a time now. All right. Well, you know, this Atlantic division, um, I think it's going to be a dogfight from now until the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. And uh, thanks very much, Joe, for uh, joining the Hockey News pregame show. After the break, we've got a new segment here. True or false is coming up. So stick with us. We'll be back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show, and we got a fun little segment here called True or False, where we're going to sort of check out a couple of little topics and uh, have our opinions on it first. True or false, Vancouver's PDO bubble will pop in the second half, costing them the division title. So for a little bit of context, PDO, a fancy stat, which takes your five-on-five shooting percentage and save percentage, puts it together, it's generally supposed to be around 100. If you're under that or over that by any significant amount, then you're probably going to come, you know, regress to the mean at some point. So Vancouver has an amazing PDO right now, and sort of all season long people have said, well, they can't be this good in terms of shooting and save percentage forever. Uh, But with Thatcher Demko and Net, maybe they can? I don't know. True or false, Mike? Um... So I'm going to say that it won't uh, burst, so I'm going to say false. Um, and we ke- it seems like we get this question like month after month, if not week after week. I, like Vancouver was doing this at the beginning in October, and we were asking, okay, well, eventually JT Miller is not going to score on every other shot that he takes. And just for reference, he's got a shooting percentage of 20.9. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, who leads the league in points right now, is at 15.4. So, mm. um, yeah, you would ex- expect it to regress, and yet JT Miller's shooting percentage has been this way um, basically since October. So, you know, if it hasn't burst by now, Ryan, and we're, what, in the second week of January, I don't see it bursting. Canucks are for real, and let's get that through everyone's head right now. I agree. I'm going to say false as well. I think Thatcher Demko, he's for real. Mm-hmm. And... You know, I, so they're going to continue to get good goaltending, and you, they just have really skilled guys. And you're right, you know, JT Miller, 20% is certainly high. I think the average is used like 12%. Um, so David Pasternak is sitting right at 12% right now. There you go. So, I mean, 20% is it's, it's high, but it's not, like, wild. It's not Sam Reinhardt, 27.5%. Yeah, and, like, I know, like, Michael Carsoni in Arizona, I think he was at, like, 30% or something at one point. Um, so that, when you expect, like, okay, that's probably going to come down. But 20%, I mean, you can, you can maintain that over a season. It's, it, you, you might not do it the next season, but it's possible if you're just really in a groove. So... I'm with you on that. I, I believe in the Canucks. I think they are for real. 
And uh, I certainly think they could win that division. They've, they've given themselves a pretty nice cushion right now over Vegas. Uh, sticking out west, true or false, the Seattle Kraken are for real again. The Seattle Kraken are in, they're on a heater. I think it's eight wins in a row. Uh, so are they for real again? It's funny. Uh, we were kind of talking about this before. The Winnipeg Jets have won eight in a row. The Florida Panthers have won something like nine in a row. Mm-hmm. Edmonton Oilers, something like nine in a row. Uh, for whatever reason, there's a number of teams on crazy winning streaks, and Seattle is one of them. Uh, when you're saying for real, I don't think they're for real. I think it's false. I still think, you're looking at Seattle, they've got to climb over Edmonton, L.A., Vegas, and Vancouver in the Pacific. There's just too many teams between them and too many mm-hmm. good teams. Um, Vancouver's not going anywhere. Neither is Vegas. I don't think L.A. Um, is going to get passed by uh, Seattle as well. And when I just look at the Seattle Kraken, I don't think I see a complete team there. Uh, mm. Offensively, I don't think they have the, the pieces to kind of get it done. So this is a nice little winning streak, but uh, I could still see them finishing well out of a playoff spot. Yeah, I'm, once again, I'm going to agree. I think it's false, uh, unless they acquire Trevor's ears. Okay. <laughs> right, right. Now, I'm just kidding on That's that one. one. But, I mean, let's give a shout-out to Joey Decord in net. He has been incredible for them. In his past 10 appearances, he gave up four goals one time, in the other nine, he hasn't given up more than two. Wow. And usually it's been one goal or two, sometimes zero. Uh, so the very first NHLer that played for Arizona State University, Joey Decord, is doing big things in net for the Kraken. And it, that's almost a reason that I don't believe in them being for real, in that Joey Decord's not going to be completely impenetrable for the entire second half of the season. I mean, goalies are going to have their ups and downs, and you can't count on just that guy to push you through as he has been. Because if you look at their scoring, like nobody's really on fire right now. No, they, you know? they are winning games because of their goaltending, and yeah. once that goes down, it's not like um, they have the firepower to kind of carry them through some poor goaltending or even mid-goaltending. Yep, no, I agree there. All right, true or false, the Ottawa Senators will end up with great odds to win the 2024 draft lottery. So I'm not saying they're going to finish last overall. They don't need to be last overall. But will they sink to the point or, or stay at that basement level where they will actually have very good odds to win one of the two draft lottery spots? Today, Ryan, the Ottawa Senators are the third worst team in the NHL. I don't think they're going to end up there. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think, and I've been saying this since October, so I'm probably wrong, but I thought the Ottawa Senators were going to be a team that was going to be, you know, with the Buffalo Sabres or Detroit Red Wings as that next team up. It hasn't worked that way. Um, But do I see them as a bottom five team? No. I I still think that they've got more to give, and they just got back uh, Shane Pinto, I believe. So um, that's going to be a boost. Uh, I like the move in picking up Dave Poulin, uh, adding him to the management team. Um, not that that's going to have immediate uh, returns, but yeah, I think there's just too many good players on Ottawa uh, to be a bottom five team. Mm. I'm going to disagree on this one. I oh, think it's true. Go. Yeah, uh, they are three and seven in their past ten. They have lost five in a row. So clearly, firing the coach <laughs> didn't give them the bounce that some other teams got. I, I just think that. I I don't think they're going to be last overall. I think Chicago and San Jose, those are the teams that you look at and say, like, yeah, those are the Max Celebrini favorites. 
Um, you know, Columbus is obviously another one that has had a really rough go of it. But I just, if the Senators haven't gotten better by now, I don't think it's going to happen this season. I think this is going to be a tremendous offseason for them mm -hmm. where they're really going to have to take stock of who they are, you know, what the leadership looks like uh, from, you know, a management perspective, a coaching perspective. You know, when will this great young core be good enough to compete with, you know, the Tampas, the Detroits, uh, even the Torontos uh, of the division, you know, I, Buffalo has sort of failed to take the next step. But even Buffalo's 12 points clear of Ottawa. They've played more games. But, uh, yeah, o I just... Ottawa, worst team in the East, do you think, though? Will they finish that way? They are right now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> They're quite a bit behind Columbus. I was so. going to say, like, I, I, I still think that they finish ahead of Montreal, but yeah, Montreal's got 40 points. Ottawa's got 28 yeah, I feel like Montreal doesn't know that they're bad. So they win enough, like, you know, like loser OT points and things like that where uh, they'll, they'll maintain above Ottawa. So final question of true or false. Do the New Jersey Devils make the playoffs? They have been wrecked by injuries. Goaltending has not been what they needed to be. So true or false, the New Jersey Devils make the playoffs? Uh... True, they make the playoffs. Um, injuries have been awful for the Devils. Um, I can't believe how many guys have gone down and keep going down. Uh, that being said, uh, still a lot of season left, and the road to making the playoffs isn't as dire as it might seem. They've got 45 points. They're two points out of a wild card spot. So mm -hmm. I think as long as they're kind of hanging around, uh, once important players get back, they'll be back in. Yeah, uh, it's, it's tough. Have I'm some faith, say, Ryan. Come yeah, on. I'm going to say true because, yeah, Jack Hughes at full strength. You know, when he's healthy, he is certainly a game breaker. And they do have the elements there. I think they could sneak in. Now the question is, is it the Islanders or the Lightning that they usurp along the way? But that's a question for another day. Ryan, you know what time it is, right? It is rapid fire time, my friend. All right, our favorite time. We got producer Connor. Hit us up with some questions. Well, you talked about him earlier. What you didn't talk about is the All-Star ramifications, because Connor Bedard, he's going to miss the All-Star game. Obviously, every team has to have a representative. Mm. It's not stellar when you look at <laughs> Chicago, putting it mildly. Who would you pick, though? I would go with Seth Jones. He started skating the other day, so I'm going to assume he'll be healthy by then. Because uh, otherwise, your leading scorer without Connor Bedard is Philip Kurashev, and I think he has like 23 points. At least with Seth Jones, you got a name brand guy. He's a defenseman, and they need a lot. They need more defensemen uh, at this All Star game. They only picked like one or two originally, uh, and Seth Jones is good at big events. So I'm going to go with Seth Jones. Uh, injured or not, I would still bring Connor Bedard there. He doesn't have to play. He can just be there, shaking hands, looking all pretty. Maybe not pretty with the broken <laughs> jaw. Um, best idea I did here on Twitter was uh, sign Phil Kessel and bring him there to Toronto. There you go. Let's make it happen. Uh, I think former great Maple Leaf, Peter Morazic, should be the answer. Wow. Speaking of goalies, Elvis Merlikens mm -hmm. demand, well, sort of demanded a trade, but also didn't. Uh, mutually agreed with Columbus to find them a better situation. Where is that better situation for the Columbus Blue Jackets goalie? I'm going to say either San Jose or Ottawa because uh, I don't... Elvis Merzlikens says he's not a backup, 
I disagree. I think Elvis Merlickson is a backup, and I don't think if he does want starter minutes, it's not on a good team. So it's got to be on somebody like San Jose or Ottawa or, or even Chicago for that matter. Yeah, I kind of find it rich that he's the one demanding a trade. It's like, just be happy that you're in the NHL right, <laughs> right. now, son. Um, there's a lot of teams that could use goaltending help. I think as we inch closer to the trade deadline, um, those teams are probably going to multiply. But I'll go the easy route, throw them to Edmonton because, heck, <laughs> it's the Edmonton Oilers. They need a goaltender. Sure. All right. Ryan, you mentioned him. San Jose, they just snapped a 12-game losing streak. Their second time losing 10 straight this season. Are they the worst team in the NHL? They have 23 points through 42 games. Are they the worst team in recent memory? I'm, because I'm older, I'm going to say no, because I remember other bad Sharks teams and other bad Ottawa Senators teams. The fact that they've won 10 games already means that they're not the worst team ever. So the fact that they're, I mean, yeah, obviously they're struggling. They're going to be the worst team this year, uh, unless they go on a bit of a heater while Chicago's without Bedard. Uh, but even with those bad losing streaks, they're still not historically bad. So I'm going to give them a little, uh, I'm going to give them a pass on that one. They're not the worst ever. They're bad, and partially why they're bad is Logan Couture hasn't played a single game this year. I think if he's in the lineup, that team looks a little better, maybe just a little better. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the worst teams that I saw in recent memory, i got to go back to that you know, Buffalo Sabres team. I think it was 14-15 uh, when they were trying to get Connor McDavid. Ultimately, they got Jack Eichel. Right. They were led in scoring that year by Tyler Ennis with 20 goals and 46 points. Matt Molson was number two, then Brian Gionta. That was just an ugly, ugly team. Um, and they were purposely ugly because they wanted to get Connor McDavid. And if mm -hmm. not McDavid, they thought, okay, well, at least we'll get Jack Eichel. So, yeah, that, that still is the worst team for me. All right. We're going not current. I want you to look to the future. Mm -hmm. What is the next major equipment innovation in hockey? I think it's going to be something off of neck protection. That's obviously uh, uh, been a big thing this year, and there there are some solutions right now. You know, guys are looking at sort of like the uh, the tactical turtlenecks and whatnot, and there you know there are some neck guards. But I wonder if there's going to be some sort of material, or maybe not tape, but something that's like super light, mm -hmm. fairly comfortable. And most importantly, not hot, because the heat of neck guards is something I know players have complained about in the past. So some sort of innovation that makes neck protection uh, easier and has less barriers for the wearer, but still gives you the coverage. That's a great answer, and that's probably what is going to happen. You know, it's funny. They keep trying to make the game faster and getting them to shoot harder. Um, keep trying to innovate. I remember, like, skate blades that had, like, a heater in it so that you could skate faster or whatever. Mm. Enough of this. Let's go back in time. Like, you know, baseball still, you hit home runs with wood bats that they've been using from the end of time. Why yeah. don't they do that in hockey? Like, let's ditch these one-piece composites. Let's get back to the wood sticks. I, I'm, I know it's not going to happen, but I would love for them to kind of go use some equipment that we've seen back in the 80s. All right, real quick, can't be your own. What's the best hockey-related book you've read? Sean Avery's book. He had awesome stories, and he did not hold back. 
I am drawing a blank on the best hockey book. I'm going to go with uh, the Johnny Bauer book. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was really good. Listen, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. This was the Hockey News pregame show. See you next week at the rink.